What's up, everyone, and welcome to Over the Top. Manchester City have been crowned the Premier League champions for a third time in four seasons, with Pep continuing his dominance on the English game. And Justin, I don't know about you, but maybe even more exciting for me, West Brom and those god-awful jerseys are relegated from the league. Ah, everybody. I know, I, I just... I just hear Donza Kaduro going on in my head, uh, celebrating after West Brom just being awful all season. And Kyle, we called this in the beginning of the season, just with their jersey leaks, like that they deserved to be just sent down to the championship on those alone. Common sense prevailed this time around. They're gone. And, be- you know, better yet, Although they're not their most ugly jerseys, they were relegated wearing those awful green and yellow jerseys as well. So, uh, oh yeah, I mean, it makes Norwich jerseys like look really, really good. And Norwich will be back next season, so we'll talk plenty yep. more about them. Uh, but those red and yellow ones, Kyle, the straight puke ones, deserve to be shunned to the depths yeah. of hell. Like, oh goodness, never want to see them again. You can tell just how excited we are about this. The fact that this has taken up more airtime so far. <laughs> Manchester City. Manchester City, I mean, let's be honest. Manchester City were champions-elect for like a whole half of the season. But we had to chime in about West Brom without even finishing the intro. So what's done is done. West Brom are relegated. Oh, man. I just love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, but I guess most importantly, Manchester City, Justin. I mean, what more can you say? They were 10 games in the season sitting in about 11th place. People were writing them off then and there, saying, nope, they're not going to do anything. Pep might get sacked. Um, and three games left to go with the season. Uh, here they are, just cruising to the title. I mean, what more can you say about this team? Pretty impressive, Kyle. I mean, the pandemic, it's a whole different animal this season with injuries and how you can replace players and just the whole dynamic of home field advantage and the confidence of players. We've seen players that haven't been in good form have a really good season and vice versa, like Asadio Mane just having a really bad year for his standards. So um, really impressive year. I mean, this, the depth of Manchester City is incredible. I mean, you had they had injuries this season, but it seemingly didn't matter because they could just thrust in really really good players in their place and just look at this game against Chelsea that we'll get to in a few minutes like they replaced almost their entire starting 11 Kyle and yes they lost the game but like what that would be one of the best Premier League teams that the yeah the lineup that they thrust out there so Super impressive. What a job by the players, by Gordiola, and what an incredible team. Yeah, absolutely. And sure, sure, they've been the highest net spenders in the Premier League in the last, what, 10 seasons or something. But mm-hmm. I don't think that necessarily tells the whole story. Um, you know, I uh, I don't even think they were the top spenders this last season. I believe it was Chelsea. We've seen United spend buku bucks over the years but man city actually you know i don't know how smartly you can be investing when you're throwing around like 60 million on a center back and 45 million on a cancelo who doesn't even play for a year but look he ends up being amazing this season so um but they invest well because they're always investing in young players that have that sell-on value um you know they hardly sign these like ready-made stars anyway so you know this is the kind of signings that Pep needs to work with in order to like craft his team. Um, and I think it's a calculated decision because 
not only do City have like the skill and the glitz and glamour, but uh, I would also say they're one of the hardest working teams in the league as well, and they press the shit out of teams. So, um, all props to Pep. Anyone who's doubting him looks like a fool. I mean, three wins out of four is pretty amazing. And that one title they didn't win in that four-year span, I mean, Liverpool had to be unbelievable to win that. So, I think that tells the whole story. It's it's also impressive, and this is kind of just a side note, but we used to think of academies in Manchester having, like Manchester United having the really good academy with those good years that they had in the 90s and early 2000s, but you might have to say City has the better academy right now, Kyle, with the players they've been producing and whether they sell them or they bring them onto the first team. I don't know, I can't remember the good United players that have come out of their academy in the last few years outside of Marcus Rashford and maybe Greenwood, but that's about it. Yeah, I think they're with United, there are a few coming up right now. But yeah, you're right. For a good 10-year span there, there weren't many. And uh, City, you know, even if they don't play all that often, I mean, sure, you have Phil Foden, but, um, you know, I would bet money Eric Garcia is going to go to Barcelona and be a success, for example. Um, And players like that, I think they've got a young striker as well who's in the youth teams. He's 18 years old. What's his name? Dolap or something like that. Yep, he's destroyed the the PL2 or whatever they call it. Yeah, Yeah, the son of the guy who had the long throws for Stoke City, if anyone remembers. Rory Dolap, circa 2008. And also, Kyle, Jadon Sancho, who they let go to Borussia Dortmund, was in Manchester City. Uh, academy product. So, really good things for going for City. Um, Kyle, player of the season for Manchester City. I mean, they've had so many really good players. They buy arguably the best player in the league, Kevin De Bruyne. But my player of the season has to be Ruben Diaz, Kyle. Coming over from Portugal, from Benfica, into the Premier League, a lot of people were saying, man, that's a lot of money for an unproven young center back. At least Van Dijk had some experience, yada, yada, yada. Um, been utterly fantastic and has had the impact like a Van Dyke has had really shoring up that defense. And no matter if it's stones or Laporte playing next to him, it's been, it's been lights out for Manchester city. Yeah, no, it's as much as I love De Bruyne and you and I think he's the best player in the Premier league, clearly the best midfielder in the world, the best playmaker. I mean, he literally puts it on a plate for people, uh, week in, week out, but it's, you can't argue with Ruben Diaz. I mean, not only has he been Man City's player of the season, but um, pretty clear that they're also that he's also the Premier League's player of the season. I mean, you got to say, if you're looking at any spectacular players from this Man City team, I mean, he's the one that stands out. And in a season plagued by the pandemic with a lot of uninspired performances, he's a player that stands out. You could throw in someone like Harry Kane, but like, look how poor Tottenham. It's hard to have a Tottenham player be player of the season. Let's just be honest. So, yeah. Um, but he's like a brick wall back there. And some of his performances in the Champions League, I mean, his game against PSG, one of the best center back performances I've seen in a long, long, long time. So he's uh, taken to Man City in the Premier League like a duck to water, just like it was nothing. And he looks like. One of the best center backs in the world already. Easy does it. Absolutely. And Kyle, he, <laughs> we talk about like whether players are young or not on this show a lot, I feel like. But he's actually young. What is he, 24? Yeah, I think even younger than that. 22, 23, I believe. 
Yeah, I mean, he he doesn't act, he acts like he's a player that's 28, 29 years old. That's yeah, been exactly. there, confident, confident on the ball, is a leader. Leadership so what a I mean, what a buy. I mean, he's going to be a I think a city stalwart for at least 10 years. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the fact that he's more or less displaced uh Laporte who it was fantastic. I, I thought when Laporte week. came in to City, I thought he was going to be I thought he was already one of the Premier League's top center backs and you know, credits to John Stones for being his partner for most of the season. But um Ruben Diaz, I mean, not only is he calm on the ball and technical uh solid range of passing, he's also left-footed, but he is way more physical than I ever thought he would be. I mean, he's a brick wall back there. So it's interesting to see a Man City side with a an excellent defense, and he's got to be the reason behind that. Because when have you seen a Pep Guardiola team with a great defense? Uh, for me, never, in my opinion. Speaking of Pep Guardiola, Kyle, I mean, how many trophies? He's won, I think, 10 trophies with City. Seven trophies with Bayern Munich, and I think 14 with Barcelona. I saw it earlier today with Barca, but I think it's 14. So he's he's won over 30 trophies in his managerial career. Um, thinking, isn't that crazy, right? Looking at Spurs trophy cabinet. But like, if you think of all... <laughs> Which one do you think is his best coaching job? Oh, that is tough, although barely easier. I'd probably rule Bayern out of that, although I think that was also a success. But, you know, he's brought in to win Champions League and just wasn't able to. Do that. Uh, while made this Man City team, those Barca years, that was that was the best team that you and I have ever seen in our age group. Um, the best team since I'm trying to think, maybe the United sides of the late nineties or something. I don't yeah. know, but uh, the best team that I've seen in my lifetime, bar none. Um, I mean, that two thousand nine team and his first season was ridiculous. The two thousand eleven team was outrageous. I mean, sure, he had all the players there already, but um, Barca was not that dominant before he came into the picture. And we're actually sort of fading into obscurity somewhat as uh, Ronaldinho um, somewhat went off the boil and they were looking for his heir. And along came this 18-year-old Leo Messi. So, I mean, sure, it's it's, it's easy to say that that all goes down to Leo Messi, but the way his Barca team play was just unbelievable so i would have to go barca what about you yeah i mean that's i agree 100 percent. that's the best team i've ever seen that 2011 i mean they were dominant in the league i think they smoked real madrid 5-0 that season um in the league as well um and alex ferguson called that the best team he's ever seen by far and he's coached some really good teams as well but i'm gonna go manchester city kyle um you know he's had a war chest here there's no doubt about it he spent a lot of money getting the players that he wants and the system that he wants. But other managers previously from Manchester City have had a similar similar war chest at their disposal. Yeah. And let's not throw City under the bus here. I mean, yes, City's had a crazy amount of money. But United has spent a lot of money too, Kyle. 
A lot, a lot of money. I mean, they've blown eighty million on Slabhead Maguire. They've spent a lot of money on Pogba, uh, on strikers that didn't work throughout the years. So let's uh, Alexis Sanchez was a disaster for them. Like, let's not let's not go too easy on United. And then Chelsea have spent a lot of money too, and they've had success. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, you know, dog on Chelsea too much because they have had good years, but. The consistency to do this in the Premier League and be this dominant, 100 points, 98 points, and then win the league by over 10 points probably this season, is really, really hard to do. And the best league of the best league of the world. So I think I think this is his best job. Yeah, and and I just remember. I mean, that's all fair points. I mean, that just proves how difficult this is, but. It just makes you realize how ridiculous it was when in 2016 or whenever it was when he came into the league, how English pundits were all saying, oh, his style isn't going to work in England and oh, this and all that. He has come in and completely dominated the Premier League, of course, with the riches, but you see this team play and his fingerprints are all over it, regardless of what players are in. And like you said, they could feel their B team and they'd still challenge for the title. So unbelievable job. They've been champions-elect for, like, God, how long now? Like, literally half a season, it seems. Yeah. Um, probably why we were more excited about West Brom being relegated than City uh, being champions in the in the intro. So, wow. I mean, what a job. Is he going to stay for next season and for many years to come? Because, I mean, he doesn't have any reason to leave, obviously, but... That being said, he's won. If he wins the Champions League, he'll he'll have won pretty much everything he could have possibly won. Do you think there might be a temptation for him to take a break for a year, like he did after Bayern? Or I don't know. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I think the temptation might exist, but I don't think he will do it. Um, I think he has at least two more years left in him at City. I mean, everything's humming. He has. A seemingly good relationship with the owners can have power to get the players he wants start who he wants like he seems like he has the control that he wants and the system that he wants and backing and so it's hard for him to to see him leaving unless like something catastrophic yeah. happens it's also important for people to remember that city's whole backroom staff football director and all this are all former barcelona guys that he worked with about 10 years ago so he's uh Got to be in a happy place. He wasn't though, Kyle. After last uh, last weekend, uh, when they lost to Chelsea at home two to one, Kyle, and this is, was a chance. And I'm not going to talk about City too much because they won the title, and this is seemingly meaning meaningless for them now. But this was a chance for them to go and win the title on this Saturday, but they could not do it, and they only got it today after United lost, which we'll get to. So. I know City changed their lineup quite a bit, um, so I'm not reading too much into this from a City perspective. I'm more reading this into a Chelsea perspective, Kyle, and how impressive it is for Thomas Tuchel um, with a changed lineup himself, because guess what? We haven't covered this on the pod, but they made the Champions League final and outclassed Real Madrid. They really did. They were the better team, I thought by far. Oh, yeah. And they play a little team named Manchester City in the final. So this is actually kind of a rehearsal. For little the, little preview. Probably not the players from both teams. No. But um, I think for any team, even a City B team, because it was a Chelsea, I would say, half A, half B team yeah. in this game. Yeah. Um, to go away to Manchester City and go and steal the game at the death and win the game 
um, speaks a lot to this team and the character and what Thomas Tuchel has done revamping this team and taking the same players that Frank Lampard had and taking him to an FA Cup and a UEFA Champions League final, Kyle. How, that's so impressive to me. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's just really surprising because I just remember asking you how you thought Tuchel will do, and as a Dortmund fan, you were a little ambivalent, which, which I get because yeah. you know, it wasn't as successful as the Klopp era, but he has really, um, within a matter of weeks, you could tell this Chelsea team is playing the way he wants to play. Very possession-based, high-intensity, pressing the shit out of teams, um, you know, with that gegenpressing style, but in a very possession-based kind of uh, heavy metal German football thing, as they like to call it. So, um, yeah, I'm super impressed. Yes, City dominated the XG battle in this one. Uh, yes, they should have been given a penalty, which I thought was a crazy non-call, but uh, look, Chelsea made... Oh, oh, yeah, we didn't even get to that. I mean, okay, we have to... I know we've been slacking on, on the social, but we have got to post this Sergio Aguero Panenka miss. I mean, my God. I know uh, last week Pep was saying he loved uh, the man that is uh, Aguero, and he just looked so fucking upset with him after that one, as I would be too. But, uh, you know, back to Chelsea... Um, this is going to give Chelsea confidence in that Champions League final. They've beaten City twice in a row now in the league. Uh, well, not in the league, once in the FA Cup. Oh, when was the FA Cup, yeah. Right, exactly. Uh, both games with very high stakes. You know, the game, the pressure was on Chelsea in this one because those teams right behind them are, are really getting close. Chelsea has a tough end of the season. They have distractions, and they just keep cruising along. It's very impressive. Yeah, I'm super impressed by Chelsea and... You know, Tuchel only signed a year and a half contract. I'm curious to see if they extend it or how much they back him in the summer because what he's done has been super impressive. And it's curious how Chelsea go into the Champions League final. I feel like a lot of teams go in to games fearing Manchester City, but Chelsea shouldn't be one of those teams. Like they've gone and beat him. Uh, they have some speedy players, even though Timo Werner has missed everything under the sun. He does provide value with his pace. Mason yes. Mount, the still young Mason Mount, uh, has been excellent this season and has provided all sorts of trouble. Christian Pulisic, the American, has been yes, sir, fantastic for them, and, sh- and especially in the Champions League against Real Madrid. He's really, yep. really good, so... And Golo Conte, have... looking back to his old self in recent weeks, I mean, that's exciting. Oh my god, I mean, he looks great. Tuchel's system is really fit in Golo Conte, right? Like, what his role is in this 3-5-2 with two midfielders sitting in front of him, and yep. you just go to town going all over the place. I feel like this really suits his style. Yeah, the, the amount of ground he covered in this uh, game against City was just unbelievable. And then even with their de- uh, defense, I'm... Really surprised that they've been playing a lot of this five-back system, but a lot of their center backs have impressed me. Uh, Tiago Silva has done much better as a 36-year-old in the Premier League than I thought he would. Honestly, I would. Yeah, Chelsea want to extend him. Yeah, I would do it too. And then, you know, next to him, I, I've been impressed by all three of Zuma, Christensen, and uh, Rudiger, Rudiger, whoever plays. Yeah. I mean, seriously. Yeah. So this, they are so deep. It's ridiculous. Yeah, they are. I just keep going back to Jorginho's comments of saying, like, yeah, you know, Frank Lampard's a club legend, and that's probably why he got the job when he did. And it's just like, oof. <laughs> you know, but. So true, though. 
Um, yeah, I, I'm really excited for this Champions League final. We'll talk about that at a future podcast. But I, I think it's a fascinating, fascinating matchup. And we'll see if it's at Wembley because Turkey, where in Istanbul is supposed to be, is going through some uh, COVID problems. So we'll see if they allow that or if they switch it back to England. But Kyle, game that happened today, really consequential for the top four race. Um, Leicester City 2, Manchester United 1 at the Theatre of Dreams. And there's a lot that goes into this. So let me see if I can set this up well and then you can cover on what I missed. So Leicester actually played last Friday against Newcastle United in what we called here a must-win game for Leicester City. They go to Newcastle and lay an absolute defensive dud, allowing four goals, all sorts of mistakes. They lose 4-2 to two to Newcastle, who's been on four. form. Question mark. Four goals, Newcastle in a game? What? I know, it's like half of their goals this season. So really confusing, terrible loss for Leicester City, which, you know, really put a dent in their top four hopes, but got a big boost. And this all started with Liverpool and United's matchup where there was that protest against the Glazers, and we thought they were going to play that match, and they ended up postponing it. And what that did to Manchester United's schedule, Kyle, was Manchester United had to play Sunday, a game that we're not covering, but they've played Aston Villa and won 3-1 to in a comeback victory against Aston Villa. They had to play today against Leicester City, and they play Thursday against Liverpool. So Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday. I didn't even do that in high school. Like, that is a crazy amount of games. And so naturally, every 48 out, you can't play the same squad. So they played a full-strength squad on Sunday. Rested everybody today. You yeah. had Ama Diallo. They had Mason Greenwood. That was the easy, and he scored. And so, like, that's about it. And Juan Another... Mata were the best player. They had a really young player. I don't even remember his name. Uh, Alex Tellez played, who we thought was going to be a good signing. Yeah. Uh, Brandon Williams makes an appearance at right back. Right weirdly. back. Yeah. It was, I mean, and I don't blame United, right? Like, having a schedule going 2 2 2, like, that's crazy. Yeah. And so Sunday to Thursday is a way more normal rest period. So they brought on some players, but this really benefited Leicester City of having the schedule and did not benefit Liverpool at all. So um, going into the game, now, well, that that's the setup. What did I miss, Kyle? No, I just think it's, it's great that, um, you know, not only did um, United fans get to voice their opinion on Glazer out, uh, of course, they didn't do it in the best way possible because once you start seeing these, um, you know, stewards with blood down their faces and, you know, hooligans basically like throwing media gear all over the field. Yeah, it's not great. But at the same time, um, I loved seeing them reclaim that power and basically deciding when United can play. Not only did they do that, they also screwed over Liverpool's chances because for me, at least, Justin, like, Leicester winning this game against the United B, maybe even C team, more or less for me, locks City Leicester in as a top four spot. I mean, Liverpool, if they win their game in hand against United, will be six points behind Leicester. Correct. Um, Liverpool with three been to play. Shaky. Yeah, Liverpool have been looking shaky, and yes, Leicester play Chelsea next in the league, but Leicester also play Tottenham on the last day of the season, and that's like a guaranteed win. So you know. They're a lot. <laughs> you slandering your club. Well, I mean, Tottenham will do enough, right? They'll lose their next two games against the Wolves, and I forget their other opponent, and then beat 
Lester at the final day to try and get Rodgers one last time. That's just the Spurs way of doing things, but we'll see. I mean, United, I'm not going to, I don't read into this at all. They basically clinched second place. They're in the Europa League final. They really have nothing to play for, and they kind of benefit from Lester getting into the Champions League probably with hurting Liverpool, right, in the process of not getting the Champions League money. So. The subplots abound in this one. And then they can face Liverpool on Thursday and play them with the full-string squad. So it's like win-win-win-win. Like, you don't see those scenarios quite often. Exactly. Um, Leicester, Kyle. I mean, they were so terrible on Friday against Newcastle. Really good today. I mean, against United C team, you saw some really good play, particularly from Yuri Tillemans, I thought was really fantastic this game. James Madison came on as a sub. It was really good. But you really saw, I mean, I thought they played a little nervous throughout this game, just knowing what happened last season. It felt like they were really tense with the ball. But after the final whistle blown, you saw players going down to their knees and celebrating and what this meant for this club. And Brendan Rodgers, too, who's kind of defined by like late season slip ups, I feel like literally or figuratively yeah both <laughs> both and you know brendan rogers he usually keeps a really cool head and even after the final whistle i mean sure he was still trying to keep that cool head like he normally does but you could just tell he was so amped up inside but uh you're right they did look nervous but what a way to break the nerves uh with that luke thomas 19 year old left back what one of the goals of the season question mark i mean for me i mean technique from a young the discussion I mean, the technique from a young left back. And Kyle, when I say in the corner, that is like in the right, upper right corner. like Literally outrageous. It's it's the kind of goal that you dream of if you're an outside wing back. Um, great technique. You know, the ball was maybe 30 feet in the air and he plucks, you know, watches it the whole way and just has perfect contact. And there's absolutely nothing, no keeper in the world can do about it. So you're right. They look nervous, but that really seemed to settle the nerves. and. Soyuncu with a towering header in the second half. I mean, good for Lesser. They really have, they deserve the top four, without a doubt. And they're a joy to watch. They're a well-ran club. Brennan Rogers deserves it. They've got great young talent that'll improve next season, except for probably Vardy. Um, and um, I'm sure they'll be investing. I know they are in talks to sign Bubakare Samare. Is that mm-hmm. his name? Yeah. The center midfielder from Lille, who looked like they're going to win the uh, Ligue 1. Or very likely, at least. So that's um, crazy. He's, he's a highly, highly rated player. So just add more depth to that center mid position, which they've needed because Chowdhury is ass. Let's just be honest. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And I imagine if they, which they likely will make Champions League, they'll invest in a third striker because you know they'll want to give it a go. And Yanacho has been great, and they've been playing with two, but you need more than two if you're in multiple competitions. So. Yep. Um. Let's move from the top to the bottom of the table, Kyle. And we've already mentioned this uh, probably more in depth than we thought in the intro. But <laughs> Arsenal beat West Brom 3-1. to one, Yes, uh, sir. That finally sent West Brom's ugly ass down to the championship, Kyle. Finally yeah. relegated officially. We knew it all season because of their lack of quality. They have one good player, I think, Pereira. Um, and that's about it. Um, this is the first time that Big Sam's been relegated, Kyle, which I think is an interesting stat. He's gone to clubs and been the savior, but even Big Sam Allardyce can't go to West Bromwich Albion and save their ugly ass, Kyle. Nope, nope. And uh, Big Sam is basically the guy that everyone goes to 
whenever your team is in trouble, your team is ass, you've kind of un- underinvested, and you just need someone to come in to defend with like 10 players and park the bus. Big Sam is a master of that. He's mastered it for about 15 seasons, but even even he could not, um, you know, get something from the this West Brom team. I mean, not only can they, they can't really defend, can't really score goals, even though I think that Dianya guy they signed on loan is actually pretty decent, let's be honest. Yeah. But, Justin, I have never celebrated an Arsenal win before, but <laughs> Arsenal winning this game, I was ecstatic. I was like, yes, don't have to think about West Brom anymore, because I just... Again, it's just the jerseys, and maybe this is totally unfair. This has nothing to do with the game. I mean, it's not like they're god-awful to watch like Sheffield United. I mean, they're not great to watch, let's be honest. But I have seen worse teams in the Premier League. But um, this West Brom team this season with those jerseys will not be one to remember, let's just say. I mean, it's kind of what they get by sacking Slavin Bilic so early into the season, like eight games into the season. I mean, was it even eight games? Like it, it was so, it was so unfair and it was like already rumored. I feel like after week four, like what do you expect West Brom? Yeah, it was a ridiculous decision. And you know, especially Slavin Bilic was such a likable guy. He had him trying to play attacking football and, Sure, they probably would have gotten relegated regardless if they had him or not. But uh, <laughs> the fact that Big Sam couldn't save them is is really telling because I could see Big Sam pulling a savior job for whichever club might get relegated next year. I want to talk about Arsenal for a second, Kyle. Um, we haven't covered them since the Euro- massive, enormous, gigantic Europa League disappointment. Drawing at home nil nil to Villarreal, Kyle, and I want to talk about that for a second. So they played, you know, their best lineup that they could, um, supposedly. But didn't they not start Aubameyang or Lacazette that game? Yes. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. They started Aubameyang. They took him out in the 80th minute. Right. He hit the they... post twice. Sorry, they didn't start Lacazette. They took. They started Aubameyang. He hit the post twice. They subbed him off Arteta. Subbed him off on the 80th minute, um, even though that's the player that had hit the post twice and become yeah. came the closest to scoring. You had Martin Odegaard, and you know I don't necessarily put all the blame on him, but you had him walking to corner kicks when you know your team needs a goal. Um, that's a disastrous loss, Kyle. That was their chance for this club to rebound and save themselves and get back into the Champions League and draw good players and become the arsenal that we grew up with. But now Arsenal is facing a huge problem. You're, you have Arteta. You could sack Arteta and start all over. But you're not going to have Europa League football. You, don't, you definitely don't have Champions League football. Some of your best strikers are aging. You have some good young players. But like, how do you recruit the best players to Arsenal without offering that, given what the other top clubs are offering? Yeah, it's really tough. And, and you know the ownership is not very much like Tottenham. The North London clubs are very similar in this way you know the ownership is not just going to pull money out the pocket for the club to spend. No way, shape, or form are they going to ever let that happen. Arsenal need to sell in order to buy, and their only sellable assets, I would argue, are their young players like Saka and Martinelli and Smith-Rowe, who they really won't want to sell. Um, maybe they could get some money out of like Maitland-Niles or something, but uh, Aubameyang's 32. Um after a poor season, no one is probably going to want to spend big bucks on him. I think Lagazette has a year left to go. It's tough. Um, I know there will still be players who are going to be drawn to the history and glamour of Arsenal. 
the big mega clubs who become irrelevant always kind of have that pull with AC Milan and, you know, Liverpool for a while and even Manchester United um, under like David Moyes and Van Gaal when they were pretty average, honestly. So, but it's tough. It's, it's really tough, man. And even if they like, say, try to sell Thomas Partey after one season, which they won't do, like they are not going to be able to recoup that money because he's even been disappointing. So it's really tricky. And it's it's hard to know where to go because Arteta has not done a great job. I'm not sure what this team's identity is, but I'm not sure another manager is going to solve the problem. It goes way, way, way beyond that for me. There's no quick fix for this club, clearly. Um, I think we agree that Arteta has not done a great job, but is sacking is sacking him too early? Do you give him a, one more window? One more window in the summer to fix it. And maybe by Christmas next year, if it if they're not doing well or not in the top six of the table, is it time to cut the cord? I don't know. I you know, that I honestly that's what I think should be the plan. Because I look at the available managers out there or the gettable managers. There aren't many. There aren't many. And especially there aren't many who want to play this progressive attacking style that Arsenal are known for and their fans want. I mean, because the the managers that are out there that are gettable, I mean, Max Allegri, defensive coach. Uh, Conte, maybe. I don't think he'd want to leave insert, but I've heard that as like a potential beef defensive. Like, you know, none of these managers, Arsenal, Arsenal fans aren't going to be stoked about them. So there's no marquee progressive young manager out there so i would stick with arteta just back him give him one more summer um yeah i don't know if that fills me with confidence though and again before we move on worth mentioning once again that arsenal were bested by via real who is coached by none other unai emery good evening himself kyle good evening indeed love that guy uh, yeah, I do too. And let's stick at the bottom of the table. So we had West Brom get relegated, but we also wrapped up the relegation picture. And Kyle, this is one of the earliest relegation pictures that has been wrapped up by Match Week 35. I don't remember this being done and dusted so early ever in my young life. But Fulham lost to Burnley 2-0 to at home, that which sealed the deal for them. If they won, it could have been really interesting, down six points with three games left and if they caught hot form, but not the case. And Fulham, we, we had hopes for Fulham, Kyle, especially, you know, 10 weeks ago, they were seemingly in form, going to turn it around. Newcastle were struggling. Burnley were struggling. It seemed like they were going to claw back, and they were only, I think, three points down yeah, or less Brighton, than that at certain points. Too. Brighton, yeah, the XG Warriors, Brighton. And then they just fell flat on their face and couldn't do anything. In these last 10 weeks, and I know they had a strong run of, like, they had a tough run of form, but, or, um, tough run of scheduling, but what do you think went wrong for this team? I mean, they had the players, they had the lone army. Could they not gel? Was Scott Parker the issue? What do you think went wrong for Fulham? You know, I think that's actually a little unfair on Scott Parker because I, I'll never forget after that first game of the season against Arsenal when they got smacked 3-0 and the owner literally came yeah. out and apologized. I mean, I literally felt bad for Scott Parker. I mean, how do you come back from that? And I think at that moment, Fulham had signed maybe Joachim Anderson, the center back on loan. And I don't think they had signed any of their other, maybe Ariola, the goalie. Um, 
from PSG, but they didn't have Adam Ola Lookman. They didn't have Loftus Cheek. They didn't have, um, I mean, they, they literally have like six on loan players. Uh, Adarabayo, the other center back. More than half of this team were young English on loan players. And it's really hard to get them to gel, even if they're all talented players with a lot of upside. It's a really difficult ask for Scott Parker. And so I, I feel like that was always going to be a losing battle. But for me, if you're looking at this team, besides the chemistry, they can't score goals. They can't score goals. I mean, even when they were playing well, they had a lot of nice build-up play. Uh, their midfield isn't bad, but they just weren't putting the ball in the back of the net. And in terms of them defensively, I mean, sure, they're not horrible, but they also weren't great. And at the end of the season, they definitely were on some bad form. Because you look at that defense, and I think Anderson is a great up-and-coming center back. Um, but the fact that he became captain while being a lone player says everything you need to know about this club. I mean, it's very kind of ramshackle. So it was always going to be a really difficult ask. And Burnley showed why they're still in the Premier League and have been for 10 years or so. Maybe not 10 years, but it's been a long time. Yeah, I mean, what a, I mean, just real quick on Burnley, like what a coaching job for Sean Dyche. They literally had no transfer funds. None. They brought in, what, one player? Yeah, I think Dale Stevens from Brighton for like a million or something, and he never plays. So just, what a job. I mean, we say this every single year about Sean Dyche. Sure, his his football isn't pretty, um, but he gives some of the best interviews out of any manager in the Premier League. He's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. He, yeah, he sounds like he drinks motor oil for breakfast or something. Um I'm not sure he could work at a big club, but I I love Sean Deitch as a personality, as a manager. Um, I mean, what a job to keep this Burnley side on the shoestring budget up in the Premier League for, I think it's like six years in a row at this point. I mean, props, seriously. Yeah, I mean, what a coaching job. I mean, probably deserves coach of the year just on that alone, but won't get it. But fantastic job for him. But Fulham... You know, they're going to go down to the championship now. All of their on loan players are gone, are going to be gone. So that is Alphonse, Ariola, Anderson, who's their third captain because their other two captains don't play, of Kearney and Sausage. Um, you have Ruben Loftus Cheek going back to Chelsea. Mario Lamina, I forgot about that one, going back to Southampton. Lookman going to go back to RB Leipzig under new coach Jesse Marsh, uh, the American that's going to lead that big club. USA. And then you had Ola Aena from Torino, who played a lot of minutes for them. And then you had in the in the winter, um, former Sunderland Till I Die star Josh Maja uh, coming over from Bordeaux. So was that also alone? That Maja? is also alone. Yeah. God, okay. So I said like six of their starters, but it really was like eight of their starters are all alone. <laughs> so, I mean, that's a huge, huge ask for Scott Parker. I mean, right? Almost impossible. But it's so, disappointing because they have talent, and so and you look at Burnley's talent or say Newcastle's talent, and yeah, you're kind of disappointed that Fulham is the one that gets relegated. But I'm not surprised. And so, Kyle Scott Parker has been rumored with big jobs. One of them, you know, including Tottenham Hotspur. And so, what is next for Scott Parker? Is he going to go back and be a Championship manager after all these rumors? Is he going to take a step up? Whether that's managing maybe a Celtic or a Premier League team or is that is or or is he going to go off and try to take a year off what is Scott Parker's next move 
Uh, I, I think it more comes down to two things. What Fulham's board wants. Uh, I think it'd be stupid to sack him, honestly, because I've actually been reasonably impressed by Scott Parker. Um, and the other thing, it depends on what Tottenham do with that managerial decision. Um, I would understand the appeal for Scott Parker at Tottenham since, you know, he's a former Tottenham player. You know, he got his coaching badges at Spurs. He coached their U18 team, very much like Ryan Mason right now, except he has way more clout as a player, and he was their captain for like a year or two under Harry Redknapp in like the early 2010s or something. But I, I get the appeal, but I just don't think Spurs would take that risk to take a manager who had just been relegated um, because Spurs... <laughs> That is a massive, massive job, and I don't think fans would be too thrilled about getting a manager who just saw their team get relegated. So I think a lot of it uh, depends on the board, but I don't think Scott Parker's going to be itching to get out of there because I think this Fulham team has a good chance to come right back up. Um, And if not, I'm sure there will be another Tottenham vacancy soon. So you never know. Uh, Or, you know, maybe, maybe David Moyes ends up getting a little old or gets a big call up you know scott parker being a former west ham player also that could also i could see that being appealing to him as well all right kyle going on to the other results we're not going to cover these results in depth just want to mention the other games this weekend that we didn't already cover so starting with leeds united they thumped tottenham hotspur three to one this weekend i just don't have any words just disappointing i'm just i'm I'm just Kind of sad for you in Tottenham. Say is he's season over. I mean, it was already over, but that's like straight up curtains. So uh, Leeds completely dominated, and Spurs. What a what a sorry, sorry, sorry end to the season. Um, also sorry, Sheffield United two huh. Uh, I mean, what more can you say about the Sheffield United team? They're on course to be the lowest scoring Premier League team ever. Yeah. Uh, so now I want to see it. Right. Like now I'm rooting against them. Yeah, because Sheffield, I think the lowest scoring side ever in the Premier League was Derby County, that awful, awful Derby team in 2008 who had like 11 points, scored 20 goals. Sheffield currently have 18, and they have three games left. So come on, Sheffield, break the record. Liverpool beat Southampton 2-0 to keep their top four hopes alive. And Kyle, as we'll go over in the next segment, not many teams still have top four hopes after this weekend, but Liverpool are one of them, and they have a tough task ahead given what their form has been, but they started off right, beating up beating up on lowly Southampton. Wolves also won this weekend, beat Brighton 2-1. to one. Brighton's so confusing, Kyle. They play decent football but can't score and then lose these close games their goal difference is like negative six on the season but they're like 17th it's such a weird weird season for brighton but they're staying up so literally copy paste what we say about brighton every single week i mean dominate on the ball can't score rinse repeat you know every time without doubt i got a Um, dumbass red card this game too by the way Really oh, Maupai yelling at the ref at the very end. Yeah, it's stupid. <laughs> yeah. stupid. Um, a big, big game in the, with a lot of top four implications. West Ham, their last difficult game of the season. Yes, they've got a cakewalk for the rest of the season, but they lost on their last big game against Everton 1-0. Uh, that's a huge, huge dent in the Hammers' chances, especially with Leicester beating 
Manchester United and you know Chelsea have distractions, but Chelsea are just so solid, man. So really disappointing for West Ham. Yeah, West Ham that kind that that is a huge result for them in a negative way. And Everton, I mean, for them, I mean, if they want to do anything and try to get to Europa League, this was a big boost for them. You know, they still have a shot to get Europa League places. So um, Mm -hmm. we'll see what they can do in their last two to three games. But big result for them. So. Getting into the top four race, we went over the nerds' predictions last week. I'll just quickly go over it um, now. So Manchester City first, done, dusted, champions. Manchester United, all but clinch. They already clinched Champions League. They're all have clinched second place, so they're safe. Leicester City currently sit in third, and they're projected to get 68 points, which get 538 gives them a 79% chance after today to finish top four. So... Not not done and dusted, but very high chance. Chelsea sit in fourth place right now with 64 points. They have three games remaining where Leicester only have two. One of those games is against Arsenal tomorrow. One of those games is also Leicester City next week. Um, they're given a 91% chance by 538 to finish top four, which I give Chelsea a high chance, but 91% seems pretty high. Given yeah. they have the FA Cup final this weekend, I could easily see them dropping points against Arsenal tomorrow. So I'm pretty sure 538 also gave Hillary Clinton 90% chance over in This is true. This is true. Right? Well, maybe that was New York Times anyway. But, you know, data isn't always accurate. Or it isn't always right. Well, them. I mean, this is just predictions, right? So 538 you know. is like just about as good as it gets, though, for the data nerds. Um, this is where it gets interesting. Liverpool, so as I just went over, Leicester with a 79%, Chelsea 91%, Liverpool at 28% chance. So they pretty, pretty much fill up the rest of those percentage odds. Um, and they can do it, Kyle. I mean, they have four games left. Um, no. Yeah. Do they? They have four yeah, they games, play, right? uh, they have that United game in hand. Right. Um, but it, they have an easy run of form after that, but it's it's just tough to see it, given the way Liverpool have played. So they get a 28% chance. West Ham, who had a 20% chance last week when we did the podcast, they have a 1% chance right now. Yeah. Just brutal, brutal, brutal loss for them. Uh, Spurs and Everton, less than a 1% chance. Spurs had a 9% chance last week. Um, so that, that loss to Leeds, just done and dusted wow. for them. They needed everything to go their way. and They couldn't even take care of business themselves. So And even with Everton's big win at West Ham, it's still, it was just always such a huge ask for either of these clubs. I mean, we, it literally required one of Leicester and Chelsea losing like all of their remaining games and Liverpool to do... And West Ham to do pretty much the same thing. So, uh, it's curtains. Uh, top four is the only thing left to play for. Actually, really, Europa League is the one thing really left to be undecided because Champions League is looking very much, I would say, almost a lock. Pretty much almost. I think it depends what Chelsea does tomorrow against Arsenal. If they tie or lose, and then they play Leicester next, it could get interesting. All right, Kyle. Well, that's it for this episode. I mean, the top four, I thought it was going to be so exciting, but it's kind of been a lame duck ending, and especially for relegation, already decided. I mean, what are we doing, Premier League? You're supposed to be the most entertaining, exciting league in the world, and it's already being wrapped up. Hey, man, our our, our listeners aren't going to want to hear that. But honestly, it's true. I mean, the one thing left to play for is Europa League. Yeah. Honestly, whoever the, finishes fifth, sixth, and seventh, uh, it's probably the most interesting thing left because, you know, Leicester, it would take a colossal fuck up. Chelsea, I mean, they're so good. I don't see them really losing out. So 
Seems like a top four is a lock. Relegation's a lock. City are champions. You know, that that's more or less it. Last uh, last piece of business before we wrap this up. FA Cup final. Chelsea versus Leicester City Saturday. Who you got? Ooh, you're gonna love this. I'm gonna. I think I have a feeling about Leicester. I really do. Ooh. I really do. I think Chelsea might be a little. Chelsea's a better team. Let's let's not get it twisted. Yeah. But I think Chelsea might be thinking a little bit about. All right, let's just make sure we get a top four finished up in that Champions League final. I know it's like maybe two weeks away, but some tells me that they might be somewhat distracted and Leicester just going to go for it. You know, and I don't think there'll be the same fears of crumbling as there are with the Premier League. So I'm confident in Leicester. Who you got? I think I I think I pre, pre um predicted this in a previous game. How about there would be penalties and there'd be no penalties, but I think it's going to go to penalties, Kyle. I really do. I think Chelsea are going to put a decent team out there. I think Leicester's going to put their first team out there because, you know, they haven't won an FA Cup. They've been there four times, lost all four times. This is mean something to the players. You don't get to an FA Cup final, especially if you're a Leicester City ever, right? And so they're going to go for it. And they're going to have an extra day of rest, Kyle, because Chelsea play tomorrow against Arsenal. So I'm going to come with Leicester City either winning in extra time or in penalties. Ooh. I mean, Leicester have got some good penalty takers, too. Yeah. With, and Jorginho's uh, jump, skip, and a hop isn't quite <laughs> working as much as it did. So I, I don't know. I don't know. And you know, Werner will probably take a penalty, oh, yeah. too, and that's not going to go well. So <laughs> <laughs> Christian Pulisic might bury it, though, to be fair to him. Yeah. Mason Mount, you know, too, in all of his glory. One, one American, the first American will win the Champions League, Kyle, either Zach Steffen or Christian Pulisic. That's right. And the first American did win the Premier League, Zach Steffen. That's right. So congrats to. Our American players on the come-ups. I mean, Zach Steffen played one Premier League game, I think, but yeah. good for him. Uh, you know, hey, he won the Carabao Cup final. I mean, he's a clear second-choice keeper for City, which is pretty impressive on its own. So that's going to do it for us. Follow us at Over the Top EPL on Instagram and Twitter. We got to get that Panenka from Aguero up there um, because that was something else. Um, congrats to Manchester City for being champions we will see you next week when we cover all the latest matches the fa cup final um previewing the final week of the season decision day which is may 23rd and giving you guys the team of the season so who are kyle and i's picks to be the best players on each position in the premier league so stay tuned for that for kyle i am justin we will see you next week